0: Thank you for that beautiful singing this morning. I was reading an article this week that said there are many churches that have beautiful choirs but the most beautiful choir of all in any church is the singing of the congregation and it was beautiful singing this morning and what an opportunity when we gather together as the body of Christ as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb to lift our voices in unison together to Him. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to First Peter chapter 5 and verses 10 through 14. This morning we come to the end of our long study through the book of First Peter. So this morning we will finish out this book, First Peter chapter 5 and verses 10 through 14. And Peter writes this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. She was at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. Well, our first point this morning is a beautiful closing prayer. And that's what we have in verses 10 through 11, is a beautiful Closing prayer. Peter closes his first letter with an eloquent and encouraging prayer for all his readers who are enduring the fiery trials of suffering for Christ. And I have mentioned this multiple times throughout this series, but these Christians were suffering greatly. And we are not talking in this book about the suffering of illness, though that is a real suffering, But this is suffering at the hands of the Roman government, a persecution that they were enduring, a persecution that was about to get worse under the emperor Nero. And they were being persecuted for one reason and one reason only, and that is because of their stand for Christ, of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the question that Christians have asked for centuries is how do we suffer well? How do we suffer for the glory of God? How do we endure days of stress and times of uncertainty? And as I have shared with you, this book is so relevant. We don't have to make it relevant, it is relevant. No matter what difficulties we may endure in our own culture, What they were going through is far worse. And so they are instructive to us of how to suffer for Christ and how to do it well. And Peter brings out one important aspect of how to suffer well. One thing that all of us have to keep uppermost in our minds all the time, and that is we need to look beyond the present to the future. He says here, and after you have suffered a little while. He's not saying after you've suffered for a few weeks or a few months or a few years. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying after you have suffered during your earthly life. And it's so fascinating to me that he says after you have suffered for a little while. And he calls your earthly life and my earthly life a little while. A little while. He's talking about our whole life compared to eternity. We may live 70 to 100 years, but what is that compared to all of eternity? In the hymn Amazing Grace, it says when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When we've been there 10,000 years, it's just the beginning. So we're talking thousands and thousands of years compared to the small, short time that we are upon the face of the earth. Paul says this so well in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. It's a classic verse. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider we could say that the sufferings of this earthly life cannot even be compared with the glory that is going to be ours in the future. You see, now we have sickness and pain, but one day there is going to be healing. Healing. Now we have rejection, but one day we are going to have full acceptance. Now the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers upon this earth, but one day, folks, one day we are going to be home. Now, now we bear the shame of the cross, but one day we will wear the crown of glory. The psalmist said in Psalm 30 and verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now that can be related to temporary earthly trials, but it can also refer to the difference between earth and heaven. Weeping may endure on this earth, but I'll tell you the morning of heaven is coming. The morning of glory is just around the corner. And Peter calls God the God of all grace. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. It means that God has limitless grace. His grace abounds. His grace never ends. His unmerited favor and kindness that energizes the Christian life is always available to you is always available to me all the time in any circumstance. This morning, you may feel like you're alone. I want you to know God has grace for you. This morning, you may feel discouraged, but I want you to know that God has grace for you. This morning, as you sit here, you may be angry but God has grace for you. This morning, you may be filled with anxiety and worry, but I want you to know that God has grace for you. This morning, you may feel like giving up, but God has grace for you. This morning, you may feel like the whole world has turned against you, but I want you to know that God has grace for you because Peter calls him the God of all grace. The word grace here, is actually a synonym for comfort. We could call him the God of all grace and comfort. And this passage is a parallel passage to 2 Corinthians chapter one and verses three through five where the apostle Paul writes, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Our God is the God of comfort who comforts us In all of our troubles. And just as we share abundantly on this earth in the sufferings of Christ. So also our comfort abounds through Christ. And he says, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is an amazing phrase. It says that God has called you to heaven. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has called you to heaven. One writer said this, This is not an invitation which can be accepted or rejected. It's a divine summons, a royal command. He has called you to his eternal glory. And brother and sister in Christ, I want you to know this morning, one day when you pass from this earth, he calls you to heaven. He commands you. It is a royal decree that you go to heaven someday. And embedded in this little verse, and we don't often think of it this way, is a wonderful thought on eternal security. If you know Christ as your Savior, you do not need to worry about losing your salvation because he is summoning you to heaven. There is a royal command calling you to heaven when you die. And he says, this God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I want you to focus on those two words, will himself. He's not going to leave it up to you to decide about these things. He's going to restore you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you and he's going to establish you both now and in the future. Both now and in heaven. He's going to restore you. Actually, all of these words mean are basically the same thing it's just variations of the same thought he's going to restore you it means God's going to provide for you anything that you lack whatever you may feel that you lack in this life God will provide it for you when it says he will confirm you it means that God will give you whatever you need to live the Christian life and to do whatever task he has called you to do he will meet your every need. Don't worry about if you have the ability to live the Christian life. He will give you, provide for you the ability to do it. He will strengthen you, which means in your utter weakness, He not only gives you strength, He is your strength. He not only gives you strength, but Christ Himself is your strength, and He will establish you, which means He will set you on a firm foundation, on on firm ground. I love what the Living Bible says here. It says that God will personally lift you up, put you on firm ground, and make you stronger than ever. What a great thought! God will personally lift you up, put you on firm ground. And make you stronger than ever. And so he says to these suffering Christians under the persecution of the Roman Empire. After you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while the God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you and imagine. How encouraging this must have been to these dear believers in Christ. Well, Peter ends his prayer with a powerful benediction. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter has just spent the last four chapters telling his readers a number of things. He tells them to suffer well. He tells them to suffer well. And if you remember no other passage from the entire book of 1 Peter, I want you to remember a passage that we looked at a number of months ago. 1 Peter chapter 2 in verses 20 through 23. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 23. And it says, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. My dear friends, to this you have been called. To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, now watch this, so that you might follow in his steps. Do you wanna know how to suffer well? Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Do you wanna know what it means to suffer for the glory of God? Just look at Jesus, just read about Jesus read about him immerse yourself in those yourselves in those gospel accounts in Matthew Mark Luke and John so he tells his readers i want you to suffer well just like jesus did and then he tells them to submit to those who are in authority over them the principle of authority and submission is all throughout the book of first peter and then he tells the leaders To shepherd the flock of God. to, To shepherd, it means to lead it with gentleness and tenderness. He has told all of us to live lives of humility. We are to clothe ourselves with humility. We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then last week, last Sunday morning, we saw that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour and we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith. And after he has told them all of these things throughout the first four and a half chapters, he then, in, in, in essence, in, cha- excuse me, in verse 11, is saying, you are never alone, for the God of the universe stands with you. Whatever you may go through, wherever you may go through it, I want you to know this, that the God of the universe stands with you through every hardship, through every tribulation, and through every trial. Everything in the universe is under his sovereign and mighty power. He has all wisdom. He has all power. He has all authority. He is worthy of all the praise and all the worship we can ever give to him. So Peter says to him, be the dominion forever and ever Amen. What a prayer. He prays for them as he closes out this letter. Well, our second point this morning is never give up. In verses 12 through 14, we have Peter's very specific and personal greeting to his readers. In verse 12, it says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you, Briefly, Silvanus is actually another spelling or another way to spell the name Silas. And it is believed that this Silas is the same Silas who traveled with the Apostle Paul and is mentioned a number of times throughout the New Testament. He calls him a faithful brother as I regard him. He doesn't spend much time explaining who Silvanus is, because his readers probably knew well about Silvanus or Silas. He was a godly man. He was a faithful brother, as Peter regarded him. And he says, By Silvanus, I have written to you briefly. In the first century, it was very common for writers, for authors, to use a scribe or a secretary. They would say, write this down. And that's what Silas was. He was the secretary, the scribe for this letter. Peter would tell him what to write, and he would write it. It was also very common at this time that the author, at the very end of the letter, would take the pen himself or herself. They would take the pen, and they would write themselves. They would thank their scribe, and then they would send a personal greeting. We have personal greetings even today. We end the letter by saying in Christ's love or sincerely or best wishes or something like that when we end the letter. And that is what he is doing here. And he says, I have written to you briefly. He wrote what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. But we know that in Peter's mind and in Peter's heart, there is so much more that he could have said. Maybe so much more that he longed to say, but this is what God directed him to say. And he says, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. These last two statements are wonderful summary statements of the entire letter. Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. These suffering believers can trust that the message they have heard from Jesus that has now been recorded in the Gospels and the message that they heard from the apostles, who, the letters that were now being circulated around, they could trust those. They could put their confidence in those. And now they could read and trust this epistle. Epistle is, simply means a letter. They could now... trust uh, Trust and rely on this epistle, this letter from Peter. And so Peter comes to the end and he says, This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true salvation of God. This is the Word of God. This is the Holy Scriptures. This or these are the words of God given to you to show you how to live for Christ and to stand for Christ and to glorify Christ. Paul does something almost identical when he comes to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. What a great statement. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Well, in verse 13, he says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Babylon here is a cryptic or coded word that was used both by Paul and by Peter in some of their writings to protect the persecuted church in Rome. They call it and refer it to Babylon just in case their letter would fall into the hands of the authorities. They would not know where this letter originated from. But he wants all of those then and now who read this letter to know that the church, or she who is at Babylon, greets you. Likewise chosen, chosen as the church of God, full of the redeemed people of God. They send you greetings, and so does Mark. So does Mark. This is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Peter and Mark were very close associates. If you ever study the Gospel of Mark, you will find, as you read background material, that has always been understood, that Peter was Mark's primary source when he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Peter calls him his son. He's not his actual son, he is his son in the faith. Just like Paul called Timothy my beloved son, he's his beloved son in the faith. The church sends you greetings. Mark, my spiritual son, sends you greetings. And then he says, Greet one another with the kiss of love. Paul calls it numerous times a holy kiss. In our culture, when we greet one another, we shake hands. We've just grown up that way. It's just what Western culture does. You ever wonder how many times we're shaking hands just on a Sunday morning? You ever wonder about that? I wonder how many handshakes There will be just this morning in our church. It's just the way we greet one another. It is so natural for us. But in first century Middle Eastern culture and and in many cultures still today, they greet one another with a kiss. It is man to man or woman to woman. But greeting one another with a kiss of affection, a kiss of brotherly, sisterly love, is very common. The kiss of love plays a prominent role in the New Testament. The Jewish people always greeted one another with a kiss. When the father greeted the prodigal son when he came home, it says he embraced him and kissed him. When Jesus came to the home of Simon the Pharisee, he scolds him because he says, Simon, you did not greet me with a kiss. That was very disrespectful not to greet someone with a kiss. When the Apostle Paul is about to leave the Ephesian elders, in Acts chapter 20 it says they embraced him and kissed him. But perhaps the most interesting kiss of all is in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas Iscariot, in order to identify Jesus to the Roman soldiers, comes and kisses Jesus and Jesus says to him Judas you betray the son of man with a kiss you betray your master with a kiss with the sign of love with a sign of brotherly affection and peter says greet one another greet one another as brothers and sisters in christ greet one another with the kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. The word peace here is used in its broadest sense. It is our peace with God. It is the peace of God within us and it is our peace with one another. Well, let me try to summarize, if I could. I'll do my best here as we close. Just to summarize the entire book of First Peter. If we were to summarize the book of 1 Peter, it would be never give up because God is always at work in you and through you and eternity is coming. And I want every one of you here this morning, whatever you may be going through to know this, that if you know Christ as your Savior, He is. He is at work in you. And He's not only at work in you, He's at work through you making you a light to this world. And I want you to know, heaven is coming. Eternity is coming. It is. No matter how hard this life may be at times, we need to know that heaven is coming. In chapter 1, Peter said, we, we have been born again to a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept In heaven for you. In chapter two, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In chapter two, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles so pure and so honorable that even when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and give glory to God. Oh, that's the goal. No matter what people may say about us, let them see the good deeds that we do and glorify God. In chapter 3, he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. In chapter 4, he says, beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised by the fiery trials that you are undergoing that are given to test you don't think that they are something strange happening to you and then in verses 10 and 11 again he sums it all up and says and after and after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. No matter how much we may suffer for Christ in this life, we are to stand firm in the faith. No matter how much we may suffer for Christ in this life, we are to trust God completely. No matter how much we may suffer for Christ in this life, we are to be a light. We have a ministry called the beacon of hope, but we could take that name and apply it to every one of us. To this world that we live in, we are the beacon of hope. We are the beacon of light to the dark world around us. And no matter how much We may suffer for Christ in this life. God promises. He promises that when we die, it will be worth it all. Whatever you are going through this morning, and maybe some of you are going through deep valleys of suffering, deep valleys of rejection and heartache, beyond what I can even imagine, I say to you, live for Christ right in the middle of the valley live for Christ trust in Christ and honor Christ and if you do I will guarantee you this I will guarantee you that one day you will say it was worth it all let's pray together father we thank you for the bible We thank you for every word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And we thank you for 1 Peter. We thank you for the privilege and honor of being able to study it together as the church. Lord, help us to apply these precious, life-changing words to our lives. And help us, no matter what we are going through, to look to Christ and to lean hard on Him every day and in every way. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.